once had exile was out on life's sea so burdened with sin and distress till i heard a sweet voice saying make me your choice and i entered the That's a great song, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Take your Bible, turn over to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Revelation 20. We're going to look beginning in verse 7. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 7. Read through verse 10, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 21. We'll get there in just a moment. But chapter 20, verse 7. <clears throat> 
The Bible says, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. The beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I want you to look at chapter 21 now, beginning in verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. In our passage this morning, we are reminded of a most important piece of information. We win. We win. In the political and social climate in which we live, it's extremely easy at times to be disgusted, discouraged, or even depressed as a believer in Jesus Christ. It would seem that evil is swallowing up good and that right is being replaced with wrong. Take your Bible, look at Isaiah chapter 5, would you please? We're going to begin in verse 20 and read through verse 23. It seems more and more as we view the landscape of our culture and our society that we are more and more like the passage describes here in Isaiah chapter 5. The Bible says in verse 20 of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. As we thumb through the word of God, we are ever reminded over and over and over again, how destructive this particular philosophy and practice can be to any individual as well as every nation. In the book of Psalm, chapter 3, verse 12, we're going to note that Israel had been granted, no, excuse me, we're going to find, first of all, let me say that Israel had been granted a wonderful land in which to dwell. We understand this, we know this to be the case from the Word of God. God had supernaturally provided for them and tremendously blessed as a result. 
But we are warned in the book of Psalm, chapter 33, verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. He reminds us over and over again that the nation whose God is the Lord will be blessed, that the nation whose God is the Lord will continue to thrive. Israel was obeying God as they enter into the land of God now, the, the promised land, and God is blessing. However, things would take a quick turn. Their faith would fade. Their devotion to God would diminish. So much so to the point where they would forsake him and follow after the gods of the, of the Amorites and the, uh, the, 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 the uh, Hittites and, and all the other gods of the land. They'd find themselves obeying and bowing down to other gods, even sacrificing their very children to those gods, to those idols. Look at Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 10. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, chapter 11, verse 10. He's going to paint us a picture now of Israel. We note in Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 10, the prophet receiving from God, they are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. And they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty sobering thought. To think that things got so bad because of our rebellion and disobedience that we found ourselves in a place where God finally said, that's fine. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you what you asked for and what you deserve. The result of their rebellion and their disobedience would ultimately be the Assyrian and Babylonian captivity. We know that Israel had split after the reign of Solomon. On one hand, we have Jeroboam who received 10 of the tribes. On the other, we have Rehoboam who now has two tribes. The one is called Israel now, from now on, their capital in Samaria. The other one is, in, is, is called Judah, their capital being Jerusalem. So we have the 10 tribes under Jeroboam. We have the two tribes under Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And yet the Bible tells us that before long, both Israel and Judah, although distinct and separate now, both go into idolatry. Both of them reject the word. Both of them reject the God of heaven. And as a result, in 721 B.C., Israel goes into captivity to the Assyrians. In 606 B.C., ba uh, Babylon comes and takes Judah into captivity. Can I tell you the fact is this, rebellion and disobedience always leads to bondage. From reading and studying history, we're all too familiar with the fate of those nations that forget God. As a matter of fact, he points out to us over in the book of Psalm chapter 9 verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all those nations that forget God. The events over the last months have left many of us numb and rightfully concerned about the future of our nation and our lives, our families.
as we contemplate COVID, social and political unrest, rioting in our streets, the defunding of police, health care, social security, the deficit, immigration, radical social activism, crime, and the deteriorating moral climate of our nation, we are most concerned. Years ago in the 1960s, there was a landmark case of Engel versus Vital. Matter of fact, 1962, the court ruled that New York's practice of beginning school days with a prayer drafted by school officials violated the Establishment Clause. It'd be about a year later that Madeline Murray's lawsuit, Murray versus Curlett, led to a landmark Supreme Court ruling ending official Bible reading in public schools in 1963. It seems that over the last decade, however, the Supreme Court has sidestepped the Constitution and instead of interpreting law as they are supposed to do, they have begun to enact law. That is very important to understand as a citizen of the United States. The Constitution is not to be a fluid document. It is fixed. And sadly enough, in our country, we are watching as there are pundits and others who have decided that the Constitution is not a constant, but it changes with the mores of society. Dangerous. Today, we're confronted with liberal and radical views that both attack and jeopardize our way of life. If you are 50 and over, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. The nuclear family, discipline, masculinity, law and order, traditional marriage, and simply common sense are all questioned, attacked, and honestly, mostly condemned. Then there's the national media and its liberal agenda. At every turn, we're reminded that we are living in a post-Christian nation. We have on our money and God we trust, but can I tell you, I highly doubt it. Things seem pretty grim. Things seem pretty dark today in the world in which we live. And you combine all of this with the open attack on God, with the Christian faith being attacked and believers in general being attacked consistently and constantly, then we can easily become discouraged, easily be, feel defeated in the Christian life. But may I remind you, we win. We win. And I want to share just a couple of things about that here in the next few minutes. And we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll move along. But let me give you four simple thoughts today, all right, concerning this victory that we are going to enjoy. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time together. We're asking that you move and work in our lives. Lord, in the midst of the world in which we live, we could find ourselves discouraged and even feel defeated. But Lord, we thank you for this reality. We win. Thank you so much. We'll thank you now and praise you as you work in our lives. There may be someone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. I pray, Father, you'd speak to them, that you'd convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And may they receive and accept the Lord Jesus. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, we are on the winning side. Just like the course said, we're on the winning side. I couldn't believe it when I found out that was the course. Now, I think it's important that we understand a little bit of the timeline, of prophetical timeline. 
First of all, let me just say that, of course, we understand that we are living in what is called the church age. If we would take the this edge of this stage and go back that way, we'll just make that the church age as we are in presently. Oh, we're so grateful. We're so thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ for dying on Calvary. Dying, but not only dying, but rising again, raising up. Now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of you and I. We're in the church age. However, the church age ends the moment that Jesus Christ returns to rapture out the church or to receive unto him his bride. Jesus will not come to the earth at that point. He simply comes to the, in the clouds and receives us up. He catches us away. We note that in, in the book of Revelation. We see that in other places like Thessalonians. We recognize it in 1 Corinthians. We see God speaking of a time when he will catch away his bride. The church age will cease to exist. It'll stop at that point. And now we enter into what's called the seven-year tribulation. The interesting thing is, is that at the end of the seven-year tribulation, there's going to be a major battle that takes place. It's often referred to as Armageddon. And so we have the church age, we have the rapture of the church, we have the seven-year tribulation period, and then at the, the end of the seven-year tribulation, we run into chapter 19 of Revelation where Christ is returning with his saints to the earth. And at that point, we have this massive battle that transpires called Armageddon. At that point, the Lord Jesus Christ assumes his rightful place on the throne of David begins to rule and reign with a rod of iron, and for 1,000 years, he rules. Take your Bible, look over the book of Revelation chapter 19. Now let's put these into place. Now let's kind of set them into that timeline. Revelation chapter 19. Let's look at verses 19. And we're going to, uh, uh, verses 19 through 21. The Bible says this in chapter 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now remember, when is this transpiring? When does this take place? It's at the end of the tribulation period. The church has already been raptured out. The, tribu the tribulation period has taken place. The Great tribulation, the last three and a half years has taken place. And now here we are, chapter 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. But consider verse 21 as well. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. I think it's interesting to note what transpires between verse 19 and 20. Notice all of a sudden there's this war that is building. We're building up to war. And they've gathered themselves against Jerusalem. They've gathered themselves against God and his people. Satan has, through the person of the Antichrist, utilizing the beast and the false prophet to assemble the armies of all the world against Jerusalem. And the Bible says, 
He gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army, and the beast was taken. I love that. What happened? A victory. And the beast was taken. And with him, the false prophet who wrought those miracles before him. It's interesting when you look at these, you say, well, who in the world's the beast and the false prophet? They're part of the satanic trinity. Just like you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, you've got Satan, you've got the beast, and the false prophet. He's always imitating the Lord. At every turn, he tries to imitate him. And in this particular case, as the Lord Jesus Christ returns in chapter 19, we find this battle prepared for him as he returns. There's going to be a fight, Jesus, and the Bible says that out of his mouth goes a sword. He simply speaks and... Battle over. The beast and the false prophet end up in the lake of fire. Satan himself? Well, what about him? Look at verse, chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven. Same time frame now. This is the same battle. Having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season. He says there's coming a day after that tribulation period that Jesus Christ, as he prepares to make his way back to earth, the world will be in such chaos and confusion. The Antichrist, along with the beast and the false prophet, will have assembled the armies of the world to go against Israel and go against God's people. And as Jesus returns out of his mouth goes a sword. And man, I mean to tell you, there go the false prophet and the beast into the lake of fire forever. And Satan is sealed up in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And during that thousand years, as Satan is bound, the millennium takes place. Jesus Christ in his rightful place on the throne of David, ruling and reigning a thousand years. But the devil is an optimist, or so it seems. Because when it comes to his ability to overcome God, there's no way that he can, but he somehow continues to fight. He will not admit the inevitable. Look, if you would, in verse 7 now of chapter 20. And when the thousand years are expired. So now again, we have gone through the church age. The rapture of the church. We have the seven-year tribulation. We have this battle that ensues at the return of Jesus Christ. The beast and the false prophet are, are cast into the lake of fire. Satan has been bound in the bottomless pit. Jesus has ruled and reigned for a thousand years. And now... When the thousand years are expired, Satan will be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Hasn't this played out once before? But when you're desperate, you'll do anything. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea, and they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city... 
Jerusalem's always the center point of all activity on God's calendar. Interesting, isn't it? And notice, and fire came down from God out of heaven <laughs> and devoured them. Hmm. Sounds like Elijah all over again. Verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hey, we're on the winning side. We win. Number two, we have so much to look forward to. Look at Revelation 21. Let's just look at the first two verses of chapter 21. Revelation 21, 1 and 2 now. Kind of back into our text again. He says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Do you realize that both the earth and the heavenlies are corrupted due to sin. It's not just mankind who, is, this, who has been corrupted by sin. It's not just mankind who is sinful at the very root, but, it, but the whole creation has been negatively affected by sin. Why are there tsunamis? Why are there earthquakes? Well, why is there cancer? And why is there horrible diseases? It's all the same thing. It's sin. Look, if you would, in Romans 8, 21, you say, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, the Bible tells us that this is the case. Notice in Romans 8, 21 through 23. The Bible says, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. What we find is that the earth, the world, and the universe are all corrupted as a result of sin. They've been tainted by sin. And the Bible says that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. And yet we know that there's a new heaven and a new earth that awaits us. A new heaven and a new earth, the Bible tells us. But not only that, as we look at verse 2, he says, and I, John, excuse me, as we look at verse uh, 23, he says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to the wit, the redemption of our body. Man, do you realize there's coming a day when you and I are not only going to have a new heaven and a new earth, we're going to have a new body. In Philippians 3.21, the Bible says, who changed our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is even able to subdue all things unto himself. Listen, we're going to have a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Man, not only is there a new heaven one day and a new earth, but there's a new body. We have so much to look forward to. 
we win. Not only that, but we will be with God and it may be soon. We will be with God and it may be soon. In Revelation 21, verse 3, he said, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Hmm. I mean, we're going to be with God, and it may be soon. Matter of fact, when we think about the Apostle Paul, he stated, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. He says, man, I've got a longing and a desire to be absent from this body. And the moment I'm absent from this body, this tabernacle, this house, I'll be in the presence of the Lord. Do you realize we're always just one breath away from eternity? And eternity, however, for the believer, this is wonderful, guarantees us God's presence. And it's God's presence forever. See, God has a purpose for you today. That's true. But when he is ready for you, you will be with him. Do you realize that you don't have to give God permission to take you? You realize you, can't, you don't have to tell God it's all right for him to bring you back to heaven. At any moment, at any time, he has every right to take us. The Bible makes it clear that that time, who knows, may be soon even. In Matthew 24, 44, though, we note that not only would he maybe take us in death, but he may take us by the rapture. The Bible says then there's always the possible, the, the Bible tells us that there's a possibility that Christ could return today. He says in Matthew 24, 44, therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Man, he could come today. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd much rather go that way than the other. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's get it done. Now, if you're young today and you've got young children or if you're a teenager and you're looking forward to getting your license and getting married and all the things that go with all of that mess, <laughs> then you're saying, man, don't come back yet, Lord. Give me a few more years. And I get it. I get it. I'm not going to be too hard on you, even though you're not spiritual at all. <laughs> the truth is, young people, adults are having a hard time with that one too, unfortunately. We struggle. But can I tell you, the older you get, the more you experience life, the more you're looking forward to his return. And I'm not saying, listen, you don't have to wait till you get old in number to get spiritual and looking forward to his return. But can I tell you, it just gets a little easier the closer you get to the other death. You know, when you get closer to that death part, you start to go, please come. (laughs) It's a lot easier. See, we're going to be with God, and it may be soon. We win. See, we win. Finally, this too will pass. In Revelation, again, 21.4, he makes the statement, he says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. There's coming a day when all this life's burdens, griefs, and sorrows will be passed away. There's coming a day when no more tears or pain will be experienced. 
There's coming a day when all things will be new, never to return. See, this too will pass, and we win. In 1969, a few days before his team took the field as huge underdogs in the Super Bowl, New York Jets quarterback Joe Namath, known then and forever as Broadway Joe, he arrived at a Miami hotel in a turquoise Cadillac. He was at the hotel to accept an award that evening. But when he got up to speak, what he said would rock the sports world. Joe Namath took his place behind that podium. He looked out over that audience and he made this statement, the Jets will win Sunday. I guarantee it. His opponents, the Baltimore Colts, they were 18-point favorites I don't know if you know anything about football, but that's a lot in the NFL. They had the second most potent offense in football. They had the best defense. Not only that, but Joe Namath at the time wasn't in the best of shape. I mean, his knees had already started to deteriorate, and he was not moving like a cat anymore. To many of the sports writers and even just football fans, Namath's prediction wasn't just A young man being cocky, prideful, or arrogant, it was insanity. Some were predicting a blowout. And it wasn't the Jets who would be delivering the knockout blow either, by the way. But when the final seconds ticked off the clock, the Jets were the world champions with a 16-7 victory over the Colts. The odds may seem overwhelming against us. It may appear that there's a dark cloud that hovers over our head in this day and age in which we live. We may find ourselves leaning toward discouragement or even defeat, but my friend, remember and never forget, we win. We win. It's hard to remember that sometimes, isn't it? You're going through financial difficulty. You're going through physical pain. You're going through a relationship that's struggling. You're dealing with problems in the world. You're facing even the corrupt system that we have to face at times. May I say, it may seem dark. It may seem dismal. But we win. We win. We're on the winning side. We have so much to look forward to. We're going to be with God, and it may be soon. This, too, will pass. We win. I wonder, in order to win, you have to know for sure heaven's your home. You need to be part of the family of God, and the Bible says that we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. If there's never been a time, a place when you've received and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then, friend, you are 
not part of the family of God. You are a creation of God, but you are not a child of God. It is so essential and necessary for you to recognize your position before a holy God, and that is corrupt and sinful, wicked. Recognizing that your heart has been corrupted by sin, and from the very birth, from very conception, you were born into sin. You will live in sin and die in sin without Jesus Christ. You have to come to the conclusion that without him and his finished work on Calvary, without the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I will perish bearing the burden of my own sin, being led and cast into captivity forever because of my rebellion and sin. But if you will acknowledge your sin before a holy, righteous, perfect, merciful, loving God, and cry out and call upon his son Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, he will wash your sin away and he will not hold you responsible for your sin. It will have been paid for on the cross by the perfect, precious blood of Jesus. But you have to trust and receive Christ. It is that simple, but it's also that difficult because the pride of man, the pride of woman stands between God and themselves. Pride stands between us and God. I can handle it myself. I'll deal with it when I'm ready. You better shed yourself of your human pride. Humble yourself before a holy God. Receive and accept the Savior, Jesus, before it's eternally too late. See, you're only on the winning side if you're in his family and on his team. The Colts lost that day. It didn't matter that everybody thought they should win. It didn't matter that they were the best-looking team on paper. It didn't matter that even on the field, their statistics stood out and everything seemed like they should take the victory. My friend, when it was all said and done, the Colts won the battle and had the victory. And may I say, if you're not part of the right team, you will lose. You need Jesus Christ. Amen. Get on the right team. Receive the Savior and allow Him to be your Lord, Savior, and God to be your Father. You'll escape hell. You can enjoy a wonderful life serving the Master. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you do for us and all you've done. Lord, today there may be those in our crowd who don't know for sure if they died, they'd go to heaven. Oh, they believe in you. They believe there's a God in heaven, but they've not come to the place where they've received and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Father, you know it's your word. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. Father, may those that are here today that have yet to come to that conclusion that have not responded in like form, may they too say, he's my only way. He's the only truth. He is the only life. And I want eternal life. And Jesus is my only way, my only hope. May they come to him today. I pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified in our lives as believers. May we never get discouraged to the point where we are, where we are not a good testimony of you. You're still on the throne. And we are on the winning side. We win. Help us to never lose sight of that truth. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you know for sure if you